You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning, Anthem Church. My name is Todd. I'm one of the uh, elders here at Anthem. This morning, we're going to continue our study through the book of Titus. So if you want to open up to Titus chapter 2, we're going to be covering the first 10 verses of chapter 2 today. And I'm not going to lie to you, um, it's going to be a difficult teaching this morning. It is a difficult one. It's a hard one. And it's not difficult because it's hard to understand. It's not difficult because the Greek is confusing. It's not difficult because it's above our heads. It's difficult because it's so obvious what we're supposed to do. It will be difficult because your application leaving here will be so obvious and transparent as to what you should be doing that it will be difficult because you will have to do what it obviously says to do. And kind of piggybacking off Luke's message last week, if you weren't here, make sure and go listen to that online. Last week we saw that there was a problem in Crete. And so some people saw that and rushed in and said, we need to change your behavior because there's a problem. And there really was a problem. The Cretans were, were being Cretans. And like even one of their own poets said, Cretans are lazy, gluttons, evil beasts. And they're like, if that's what they're saying about themselves, imagine what their neighbors are saying about them. If that's in-house, then imagine what the people outside on Twitter are saying about them. Uh, so that's them, and so they really do have a problem. Um, but, but the solution is not just to change their behavior, because what's happening like, on the outside, what they are doing is a product of something that they believe. And so the problem wasn't just can't be fixed by changing their haircuts and getting better clothes. There's something going on inside, because our theology comes out of our fingertips. What you think about God is what you do. So say it the other way around, what you do is what you think of God. That's what you think about him. That's who you think he is. That's what you think he cares about. What you're doing is your theology. And so the difficulty with this morning's passage is we're going to read what we're supposed to be doing, and if we have a problem with that, it's not just changing our behavior. You can't just leave here and do what Paul tells Titus to tell the Cretans to do. If you don't want to do it, the difficulty is, is what's happening inside of you that you don't want to the difficulty is, is going all the way back upstream to the belief, to the center of theology. Like, what, do, what is my problem with the way I think about God that I don't even want to do what he says is best? So we're going to see clearly what he says to do. And some of us are going to be like, oh, I don't want to do that. And so the difficulty for us this morning is going to be to take the time to wrestle through what is going on inside us that is causing us to not want to do what God says is clearly best for us. Because what we do does matter. Last week, we found out that it's not the first thing, it's the second thing. But theology is coming out of our fingertips. It tells you what's happening upstream. And so that's why the first verse of our passage today, talking about these people who say they know God, but then do stuff that shows they clearly don't know him at all. He says, but as for you, Titus, teach what accords, what matches, what goes along with, what's in keeping with sound doctrine. Titus, you teach them that what they do definitely matters. Because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a signpost, it's a fruit, something that you can look at and follow the, back to the root. What you're doing is a fruit, and it tells you what's happening at the root level. So if what you're doing doesn't match with what God says, the solution from last week is not just fix what you're doing. That shows you that there's a deeper problem. There's something else going on that you need to take the time before God to figure out what's happening inside of you that you don't even want to do this, or that you're having trouble doing this, or that you keep doing the thing he says not to do. As for you, Titus... Teach what goes along with sound doctrine. Definitely tell them what to do. And he's going to, now the rest of our passage is going to be marching through what you're supposed to do. Now, what you're supposed to do 
is determined by who God made you to be. Who God made you to be will influence what he has told you to do, what post you are assigned to, what is your assignment in this world is influenced by how God made you and what he made you to do. So I have up on the screen Acts 17, 26 through the first part of 27. And look at this, what it says there. Paul, speaking to um, some people in Athens, says this. God made from one man, from Adam. He started with one man. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God. Where is the best place for you to seek God? Right where you are. Your height, your skin color, your gender, the time you live. Right now, if you are a young man, it's because you were born at a certain time. I'm an older man because I was born at a different time. My dad's a very old man because he was born at a very different time. And he doesn't understand anything we do, let alone what my kids do. My dad was born in 1938. I was born in 1978. My son is born in 2008. God assigned that. We didn't pick that. I was born in Orange City, Iowa to Tunis and Jackie Van Voorst. God assigned me my post. And when he did that, he made me a man by giving me a Y chromosome. He chose for me who I would be. And he chose the age I would be because in 1978, I was a newborn, which means today I'm 40 years old. God picked that for me. So I'm a, you know, my Atticus is a young man. My dad's definitely an old man. I'm just a man. I don't even get an adjective. It's just like, you're just a boring vanilla man. Just a regular, I just want the man. <laughs> That would be me, you know, 40 years old, has a job, that's me. <laughs> You're a man, just a boring old man. God has assigned to you your gender, your age, your station. He's assigned those things to you by picking where you would be born and what gender you would be. So some of you, like, look back and you read Jane Austen, you're like, oh, wouldn't it be great to live in Victorian England? God didn't pick that for you. It wouldn't be great for you. Why? Because it says he picked the place for what reason? That you should seek God the best place for you to come to know God is in the gender he assigned to you, in the place and time he chose for you to live. You can't envy people for what you aren't because it's not yours and it's not the best place for you. The best place for you is where God has assigned you and he's given us assignments and the rest of the passage this morning is him telling you what that assignment looks like. What does it mean to be you? And what it means to be you will look different. What assignment God has given you looks different based on this. Now, one note before we move on. God commands to our weakness and for the benefit of others. So God commands to your weakness and for the benefit of others. So in other words, if he's telling you to do something, it's because you weren't going to do it anyways. You're weak in that thing. That's why he has to tell you to do it. If you were just going to do it anyways, he's wasting papyri. I mean, paper's cheap now, but back then it wasn't. He's wasting time. There's no reason to tell you to do stuff you were going to do anyways. So listen, when we march through this, yeah, some of this is going to push back on you a little bit. You're like, I don't want to do that. That's why he's telling you to do it, because he commands to your weakness. But listen, that other part of it, it's for the benefit of others. Other people need you to do what only you can do. The whole system starts falling apart when people renege on their obligations, and you see it start at the top, and then it just works its way down, and people have to start making up for what the person in front of them was supposed to have done. Some of you guys have that at work. That's your whole life, is doing stuff that other people should have done. And now that's your whole life is trying to make up for their thing. And then now you don't get to do the thing that you're supposed to do. Now somebody's having to clean up the parts and stuff and it just works its way down, down, down. It's the same way in the world that God made. He commands to our weakness and for the benefit of others. So that means if he's telling you to do something, it means that you weren't going to do it anyways. And that means somebody needs you to do it. Somebody's depending on you to do what only you can do. 
So old men, you're up first. If you are an old man, this is you. I don't know, like, if you think you're old or not, maybe you don't want to identify as an old man, but, like, I guess I'm 40. At this church, I'm definitely old. Like, if we're just doing the median, you know, like, I'm on the older side of people here, at least. Older men, you're up first because you are the heads of your community. You're the heads of your house. You're the heads of your communities. You are the head. It is not a question of if you are the head. You are the head. It's either, it's a question of are you a good one or a bad one. If you are not leading your house, it doesn't mean your wife is the head. It means you're a bad one. It means you are a bad head because you are the head and the elders of the community should be leading the youngers. It makes sense. They have stuff to say. Young people have all this energy. Old people have all these ideas. Let's get together. You imagine if I had like somebody who actually knew what they were doing and was willing to tell me when I had all the energy of a young man, like all the things I could have accomplished. And that's why I love our church. It's a next generation church. You have the combination of young and old together. We can all benefit each other because I benefit from the, your youth and your energy. It's inspiring to meet with you and see like, these guys are on fire. They go and do stuff when you tell them and they're just aggressive and that makes me excited. And hopefully on the other side, the young people are getting advice and wisdom from people who've been with Jesus for a while now and seeing, oh, I needed to know that. I was, I was gonna go do that. And you're telling me that if I do that, this is how it ends? Oh, thank God for you and your wisdom. Old men, Titus 2, verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in steadfastness. That word dignified is, is literally the word gravitas. It's the same word we get the word gravity from. Old men, you are to be weighty. That doesn't mean you're supposed to like pack on the pounds. You're like, well, I have weight. I have, an, I have a gravitational pull <laughs> because everything else is forced to like, come to me because of my girth. Like, he's not saying that. He's saying weightiness. Like, do you have a weightiness in the rooms that you walk into? Do people immediately recognize you are a man who, you're foundational. We could build a life around you. A wife could depend on that guy. Kids could look up to that man. He has gravitas. That is the, like, that is the thing. Young men, if you want to be an old man that you're supposed to be someday, aim at that now. Have gravitas, have weightiness, foundational. Men, older men are to be patriarchs. You should build a life around them. Like your last name should mean something to hand that on to a wife. Like you take her on and she has to have your last name. That should be an upgrade for her. That should be like a good thing. She'd be excited to enter into your thing. And kids should be excited to be your children. You are meant, you are called to be foundations that a family can be built on, that a community can depend on. When they're in trouble, who do we turn to? The old men. And they know what to do because they've been there and they have wisdom. And that's who you're supposed to be. Sober-minded, dignified, with gravitas. Men, you are like pickup trucks in a lot of ways. But the way I mean, you are like pickup trucks. You drive smoother and straighter when you have a load in back. You ever had a truck that doesn't have stuff in the back? It's like all over the place. Every bump is like a creak and like everything. Like it's the empty, another guy said, the, it's the empty cart that, that rattles. Right? An empty cart, every bump and rock in the road, it's creak and groan and blah, blah. You load that thing down, smooth. No more groaning, no more complaining. Young men, some of you guys complain too much because you don't have enough going on. Nobody depends on you for anything, and that gives you just all this free time to complain about what you think other people should be doing. Take on some responsibility. You will stop complaining as much, which will help us out, and, <laughs> and you will become who you are meant to be. Men, you are made to carry heavy loads. That's why God gave you big, broad shoulders. That's what they're for. You are meant, your physiology is a representation of your spirituality. You are supposed to carry heavy things. It is your God-given assignment. And so your temptation is to lighten the load. 
God commands to our weakness. You're supposed to be strong and carry heavy weight. So what do you want to do? Offload some of that. Get rid of some of that weight. And especially old men. This is the problem, old men. You put yourself out to pasture. You're done with your job. Your kids are old. You're, they're raised. I'm going to go out to pasture, work on my golf game, maybe get a boat. It's lame. It's lame. Like you put yourself out to pasture. Nobody even did it to you. You did it to yourself. You just retired from life. You just said, I'm done. All done with life. I'm just going to go enjoy it now. Bubble bath for me. No, we need you. God commands to your weakness. Your weakness is that you just want to lighten the load. I've worked hard my whole life. I put in 40 years at that company, blah, blah, blah. Now it's my time just to sit on the sofa and watch soap operas. Because that's who watches soap operas. I don't know why. It's like it's farmers who take the afternoon off and watch soap operas. I don't know why that's the case. It's not women. It's sort of my dad. At least like, it was like, well, it's time to take a break. And like, he knew what was going on in days of our lives. <laughs> Your temptation is going to be to offload stuff as you get older because you're like, I did that. I did my time. I'm done now. Don't give in to that weakness. It is your time to be stronger than ever because only you can be that foundation for a whole community, for a family, to raise your grandkids to know Jesus. Not just your kids. Your kids turn 18 and leave the house. You're not done. Now you're still their dad and you still will be, you'll be a grandfather to their children. That should mean something to them. They should be excited about Papa. And he uses the word sound. You're called to be sound in faith and love and steadfastness. Soundness, Luke pointed out last week. Soundness is the same word. It's the Greek word for hygiene. It's the word we get health, health from, healthy. It means healthy, healthy doctrine. You should be healthy in faith, healthy in love, healthy in steadfastness. Healthy things are growing things. Healthy things grow. Healthy things produce fruit. Healthy things are alive. If you look at a plant, if it's healthy, it's green. It's vibrant. It's producing things. The opposite of soundness is sickness, something that's dying, withering away, winding down. And that's what most people see as their retirement. It's just a winding down to a gradual halt. Like that's how most people see what their life is going to be like. He says, old men, you should be growing. You should be growing in faith and in love and steadfastness, not resting on the laurels of your younger days when you did it right, not retiring and putting yourself out to pasture, but growing, being full of life. Proverbs 20, verse 29, captures this idea, especially taps into the, what we're trying to do here at Anthem Church of connecting generations with through the Salt Company. Proverbs 20, 29, the glory of young men is their strength. When you are young and you are a man, you are strong, because that's who God made you to be. I have it up on a, I did have a slide for you. Proverbs 20, verse 29. Again, I'll say it again. Proverbs 20, verse 29, the glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. <laughs> when you get older... Stop trying to be a young man. <laughs> like, that's part of this is like, you know what? You're old. Just deal with it. Just accept your station in life. Stop trying to be young. You're not, why are you chasing cool? Being cool was stupid when you were young. How much lamer is it when you're old? <laughs> Nothing's lamer than old people trying to be cool. It's the worst. It's so dumb. <laughs> Don't do it. It's lame. It's, 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 it's bad in young people. When you see young people chasing cool everywhere, it's, it's stupid. But when an old person's doing it, it's like, you're not even right, you're not wearing the right uniform. You're too old to be cool. You would never pull it off. Some of that is knock it off. Some of it is know your station. Some of it is, hey, young men are strong. Go find some of them and teach them what to do with all that wisdom you have. You have a different glory now. You have a different glory now. Stop trying to chase the glory of when you were young. That season's over. You're an old man now, which means you have a different thing you're chasing which means you chase that and then you help the young men with their strength. You say, hey, young man, you're strong. I'm wise. Let's get together and see what we can do. Let's do some damage to darkness. When we get together, it's going to be great. 
Let's do that. Your wife, your kids, your church, your grandkids are depending on you. They need you to do this, older men. If you're a young man, aim at this. Next is older women. Titus 3 through the first part of verse 4. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so train the younger women. Older women, you likewise are to be growing. You're not to put yourself out to pasture either. You're not past your glory days. Your utility is not over. It's like, oh, when I was young and fertile and beautiful, that's what I was for, and now I don't have any of that anymore. I'm old, so what am I going to do? Older women, you are to be growing, not wilting. Old, old women, listen to me, and hopefully you don't hear that as an offensive thing. God assigned your age and your gender. So if I say old women, don't be like, don't be calling me an old woman. <laughs> I didn't call you that. God did. <laughs> it's either that or dead woman. <laughs> What's your alternative? I have people, like, I work with young people, and they're like, oh, you're old, you're 40. It's like, what's my alternative here, guys? Be a dead guy? <laughs> it's either get older or die. So if you're an older woman, praise God he's allowed you to live this long. You're not done yet. It's not all just beauty pageants for you. It's not like, oh, that's, that was those of my days of youth. I'm done with that, you know, you know, skipping through the fields and stuff. Like, no, you have other things to do now. You can be growing, and you likewise are called to do so. You're commanded to do so. You should be growing. You should be growing in ways that are consistent with who God made you to be, to be growing in reverence of behavior. That means that your behavior clearly shows, I am a woman who knows God. And when you talk to me, you are talking to a woman who knows God, and everybody knows it. They don't leave a conversation with me being like, I wonder what she's all about. I wonder what she prays to. I wonder how she, what she does when she's scared. I wonder what she does when she's lonely. You should be the kind of woman that your behavior is so clear that you are growing and you're reverent in the way that you act. And you are relational by design, women. That's how God made you. He made you relational. You came second. You were made out of a man for a man. Your whole creational design is relational by design. You were made out of a person for a person. Your whole design is relational. And that is a good and godly, glorious thing that man needed, and it was not good when he did not have it. A world without you is a bad world. We need you, women, to be women. We need you. We can't do it without you. God said so himself. It is not good. The first time in Scripture the words not good were used was when God looks down and sees a lonely man who's strong and has no one to help him, no one to relate to, no one to come alongside him and to make things beautiful and to make a home with. And so, older women, you are to be growing, and you are to be growing in relation to the design you have. And as such, as a relational person, your temptations... He's going to speak directly to your weakness right now. He commands to your weakness. So what are your weaknesses? Slander and slaves to much wine. Slander and slaves to much wine. Slander, because you are relational, your temptation to sin is to create bonds with people by talking smack about other people. <laughs> I'm growing close to you because we both hate her. <laughs> Never leave girls in groups of three. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> because one of them will be singled out Always. Even in Christian circles, the temptation is strong. Girls, you know this. You're at a table. Do you want to get up and go to the bathroom? No, you go in groups. <laughs> because you don't, want to be, you don't want to be the one person who's left. Because guess what that table is going to talk about the second you're gone? You. <laughs> and you know it. And that's why you won't leave. As long as I'm here, they can't talk about me. <laughs> just going to plant myself here, and you can't talk smack about me. You're going to have to wait till you get home and text each other. <laughs> you can't do it here. Your temptation is going to be to slander. To, and, and the way that you're going to use slander is to form relationships with people. I want to get to know her. I want to feel close to her. So we both can hate this thing, and that's how we're going to grow close together. 
And, that, you know, and that's not to say, like, when this girl, when it's you and her, now it'll be you and her. Now, now me and her will bond over maybe her now, because now she's not here, or the other thing. But you bond around finding ways to dislike things, particularly other people. And he's going to say, speak directly to that weakness and say, don't do it. Do not be a slanderer. Do not give in to that temptation. Don't form relationships that way. Because you all know that if that's how you form relationships, then when you're gone, they're doing it to you. And you know what it's like. You know the kind of things you've said about other people when they're not around. Do you want them saying that about you? Is that the, is that the cycle you want to start and put into motion? Don't do that. And then he says, slaves to much wine. You're like, well, that's not a, a temptation church people typically struggle with. But it, it is in the vein of self-care. It's this like, you know what? I give my whole day to change diapers on these ungrateful kids. It's me and a box of wine. Right? There's a whole self-care stuff like, you earned it. You deserve it. You gave your whole life caring for other people. You take care of that husband who wipes his dirty you know, shoes on the rug and these kids are running around making messes. It's the end of the day. You deserve it. Get a box of wine. Go at it. It's time for you to love you. Pinterest is full of this stuff, ladies. You are vulnerable to this particular temptation. There are no Pinterest boards aimed at men saying, you know what, brother, you just need to love yourself. Because it doesn't work. <laughs> We're like, that's dumb. <laughs> like, now, don't get me wrong. Men love themselves and we do it in other ways, but you can't come through the front door like that with guys. If you pitch it to them that way, it's like, it's time for you to love you, Josiah. You'd be like, I don't want to. That sounds weird. <laughs> like, in fact, I think I'm not supposed to do that. I don't want to do that. Like, it doesn't work, but for women, it does. If you tell them, like, you just need to take time to love yourself. You pour out so much. You pour out so much. And you do. See, the problem is half of it that is definitely true. You do. These kids do not appreciate you. Your husband doesn't understand how hard it is for you to do all, a lot of that you do. He doesn't understand what it's like to live life as you. He doesn't know what that's like. So you're definitely right. You have poured yourself out. Praise God. But don't turn around and reward yourself now by turning your back on your Savior, by treating yourself like you are the center of the universe. Don't give in to that temptation, ladies. Don't give in to the temptation now to make it all about you and your free time. I have free time now. Time to love on me. Now, be healthy. Take care of yourself. I'm not saying don't care for yourself. But I'm saying don't make that an orientation where you retreat to it, where the burdens of being relational are so like, well, I can love the kids as long as I know I have a box of wine and a Netflix show waiting for me at the end of the day. That shouldn't be the thing that gets you through. That's what he's aiming at here. Don't make that the thing. That shouldn't be what gets you through. Jesus is what gets you through. And he's enough to get you through. And if you depend on him, you will find that you have enough to get through. And you find in your quiet time, you can turn to bread and water that truly satisfies and actually fills you up, not just turning to wine to forget a long, hard day. Older women, that is your station that he has commanded you to do. And then he says, your job is then to turn around and teach train young women to do the same. And to teach not just anything, not just teach like, hey, I'm old, I have things, I have thoughts about stuff. Not just to teach young women because your kids are older now and you need somebody to boss around. No, he says, teach what is good, which means you need to be a learner and a studier of what is actually good. I'm charging you right now, older women, study what is good. Make it your effort to learn what is good. This is your assignment from God. Learn what's good and then teach younger women what it is. Find the time. So you have to Take the time to learn what is good, and then you have to make the time to meet with young women. This is your assignment. It's not my job to meet with young women to teach them, and that's true for many reasons. It wouldn't be appropriate for me to be meeting with a lot of young single women. It wouldn't be appropriate to be meeting with a lot of your wives. 
So not only is it not appropriate, but you are, older women, the key to actually training them because you've been there, you've been in the trenches, you understand this, and you actually know something that we don't, and you alone can teach these younger women. They need you. God commands to your weakness. Your weakness is not going to want to do it. I raise daughters. Why do I have to train somebody else's? Shouldn't their mom have told them that? Yeah, they probably should have. Step in. Tell them what their mom should have told them. Be a mom to them. Be a mom to these young moms, older ladies. Please, please be a mom to them. They need help. They need help. And that leads us into what young women are told to do. Titus 2, 4, verses 4 through 5. Train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Young women, it's, a, it's easy for you to assume that being a mom and, and a wife is going to come naturally to you. Many of you have been planning your wedding since you were little girls. Many of you have been holding babies since you were a baby. I brought home a daughter two months ago, Juniper. She's a little girl. My two-year-old daughter, Callista, immediately took ownership of her <laughs> because kids know which one's the baby. And Callista knows that's my baby. And so Callista, like, we were worried. You know, you always worry, like, when you bring kids home, are they going to fight? Are they going to be jealous? The problem wasn't that. It was that she wanted, she wanted sole possession of Juniper. <laughs> the problem wasn't, like, that she was mad that mom wanted to hold her. The problem was that she wouldn't let anyone else hold her. <laughs> Girls, you're wired like this. You love, you've, you've thought about these things for a long time. So it's easy to assume when I get married, it'll be easy to love a husband. I've always wanted one of those. <laughs> it's easy to be like, I'll love a baby. I've always wanted one of those. Babies are awesome. They're so cute. I love babies. And then you will find yourself, six months into being married, being like, I never thought I could hate someone so much. (laughs) And I say that partly joking, and I say that partly serious. You will be up in the middle of the night being like, I can't believe it didn't come this naturally. What do I do? My whole plan was just to assume that it was going to come naturally to me. And now I find myself really mad at this person I promised to marry. Or you will find yourself up at three in the morning with a crying baby, and you're like, I never thought I would hate a newborn. But I have rage feelings towards this person who will not sleep. <laughs> like, and you will feel it coursing through your veins and you will be shocked and it will throw you off. You'll be like, I don't know what to do with this. I never thought that this would happen to me. I never planned on this. My whole plan was I'm a mom. What do women do? They love their husbands and love their kids. If they're not that, what are they? And you will come face to face with this reality and it will throw your whole world off. Older women, you need to teach younger women how to love their husbands and their wives. It does not come naturally. Some of it does. It's inborn. God put it in there. But it's not just a natural thing. You need help. You do not think, you do not know what you think you know about loving husbands and children. You need help. It's the older women's job to teach you that, but it's your job to make yourself available and to say, help me, help me, call out a lifeline, ask for help. And it's further complicated by the fact that when he says train young women to love their husbands, the word love is not agape, not unconditional love. Women do that really naturally. They extend blank checks to people pretty easily. The word is phileo, be a friend. Your husband, like, and this commands to your weakness, to your husband's need. Your husband needs you to be his friend. He needs you to love, phileo, brotherly love, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, phileo. That's the kind of love you are commanded to do because you weren't going to do it anyways. You're going to be like, oh, I love my husband. I would never divorce him. I unconditional love. I just really don't like him. I want to hang out with him, spend time with him, do anything he's interested in, think all this stuff is stupid, tell him he's dumb for all the stuff he likes, da-da-da-da-da. Friends don't do that to friends. <laughs> friends don't mock them and make fun of them and treat them like a big boy. You need to love them. It means you need to phileo, which means you weren't going to do that anyways. 
And, the, and so two responsibilities that he gave young women certainly caught your attention. I'm sure the first one, working at home. It's what Paul tells Titus to teach the young women to do, and actually tells the older women to teach the young women to do this. Working at home. The word literally is oikos ergon. Home, work. It is what he's saying. You're like, no, there's got to be some complication, right? The Greek is more complicated than that. It's not, actually. NIV says it this way, busy at home. NLT says it this way, work in their homes. King James says, keepers of the home. New American Standard, workers at home. They translate it that way because that's what the word is. Now, listen, what he's not saying is that you are bound to your home, and if you ever leave, you are disobeying God. <laughs> what he is saying is that you should not leave your home until your home is under order. Your home is your responsibility. And if you can't take on more stuff and keep your home in order, your home is not the side hustle. The side hustle is the side hustle. The home is your primary responsibility. That means your job is to make a home. God's given women three responsibilities, cultivate, beauty, nurture life, and make home. That's your job. That's your assignment. You need to be the responsible for making the home a home. You've, you've been to these guys' apartments. Four guys share an apartment. It's not a home at all. It's, a play, it's, like a, it's maybe a locker room at best, and it smells like one. <laughs> Women make things homey. It's not a home without a woman. Women were made to do that, and it's your responsibility to make something a home. So that's why he puts you in the responsibility of it. That is your assignment from God. And the second thing he says is submissive to their own husbands. The word literally, sub, under, mission, missive, mission. To be under the mission of your husband. You are marrying a man, young ladies, single young ladies in particular. Pay attention. When you marry somebody, you are entering into their mission. So whatever they're excited about is the thing that you need to help them do, just like Eve was created to help Adam do the thing that God told him to do. So if you don't like where he's going, don't marry him. If you don't want to help him go where he wants to go, don't marry him. You're not helping him by being his mom. He doesn't need a mom. He needs a wife. Don't come in and swoop in and think you're going to fix him and help him. That's not what he needs. To help him is to help him do what he's already decided that God's called him to do. So men, that puts the onus on you. Women can't do that unless you know what you're doing. Young men, you have to know what you're doing. <laughs> when you pursue these young ladies, what are you asking them to follow you to do? If you don't know, then stop pursuing them until you got it figured out. Figure out what you're doing, what God has called you to do, and then invite somebody into that thing. And women, it says submissive to your own husbands. To your own husband. Young women, you're not submissive to all men in general. You're not just under under the mission of every man that's ever been made. It's your husband. If you choose to marry a man, you are under his mission, but you're not just submission to all people and husbands in general. It's just your own if you choose to marry him. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that's easy for them, right? I mean, they lived in what? I don't know what year this is, 40 AD? Didn't everybody was just covered head to toe in denim back then? And like everybody, it's like, didn't women already do this stuff anyways? When this is like, they were happy to do it. Oh, sure, I'll make brownies, whatever. Like, that's your temptation right now, is right? To look back in that world and be like, well, easy for you to say, it's 2019, Todd. Times have changed. God commands to our weakness. It was never easy to do this, ladies. It has always required faith to do what God has asked you to do. There's never been a time in the history of the world where it did not require faith to do what God has called you to do. There's no way to honor God without having faith in him and doing what he's required. It's never been easy. Don't read back into their world. It's not true. It was as hard for them as it is for you. You have different circumstances and situations that make it hard different, but it's not like their world was easy, and you, and you have the difficult task now of doing it in the, the face of it. And the second thing you might be thinking, like, would this really matter, Todd? This sounds kind of like a personal opinion. 
Sounds like maybe just something that you like to drive home. Look what he says. Verse 5, that the word of God may not be reviled. What's at stake? Disappointing Todd? That's stupid. Who cares what Todd thinks? Who cares what I think? God says the word of God is at stake by your choosing to obey your assignment or to leave it. And when you mock God's word by reading what's obviously clear to anybody who wants to read this and then turn around and don't do it, you're giving permission for all of them to throw the rest of it out too. Why should they have to obey the parts that you say apply to them if you don't obey the parts that apply to you? The word of God is at stake and you revile it. The word is literally like malign, like cancer. Malign, revile, blaspheme is the literal Greek word. You're slow to honor God with what you do. And when you do that, you make it easy for everybody else to do the same thing. He ends with young men, and he only gives you one command, probably because it's like young men like, have like that squirrel attention span. It's like, what, squirrel? <laughs> young men. Okay, everybody, eyes on me. Young men. Woo, young men. You got one command. Just pay attention. Hold with me for like one sentence, okay? Young men. Hold in there. Okay, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. That's it. That's your only command. Just be self-controlled. <laughs> just be self-controlled, young men. <laughs> If you just do that, that'd be a great ministry to all of us. Just be self-controlled. And he doesn't just tell them to be self-controlled. He urges them to be self-controlled. Everybody else got the same command. Be self-controlled, be self-controlled. Young men, I urge you, for the love of God, be self-controlled. Please, like literally, for the love of God and your neighbor, be self-controlled. Because like I said earlier, you are strong, young man. You are strong. You might not know that about yourself. You might feel weak. You are strong, young man. And the question isn't, are you strong? It's, will you spend it on good things or bad things? The world needs more good, strong men who are under control because there will be strong, bad men because they are strong. And if they don't choose good, they will choose bad and they will use their strength to destroy the world around them, to destroy homes and families and communities. We need you young men to step up and to use your strength to serve, provide, and protect. That's what your strength is for. Serve, provide, protect. And you need to be self-controlled, which means you, know how, you need to know how to say no to things that you want to say yes to. Self-control means I want to say yes, but I'm going to say no. It also means you need to say yes to things you want to say no to. I don't want to do hard work. Say yes to it anyways. You have to learn how to say no to things you want to say yes to and say yes to things you want to say no to. So the question this morning is, are you living in submission to your assignment? Are you submitted to the assignment that God has given to you? Because how you fulfill your responsibilities will affect others' ability to fulfill theirs. The last thing he talks about is also your privileges and positions have been handed to you by God and assigned to you. Verses 7 through 8, he's talking to Titus now directly, the one who's in charge of this whole operation. He says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. If you have a privileged position, if you've been given certain benefits in life, a mom and dad who love each other, a good job, a college education, it is your responsibility to use them well. It is your responsibility to use them well. Luke 12, 48, I have up on a slide for you, says, everyone to whom much is given of him, much will be required. If you've been given great privilege, you have great responsibility to use it wisely. If you've been given privilege, you need to use it wisely. Your temptation will be to use your privilege to keep your privileges. Your temptation will be to think that, that you were born on third base and you tell yourself you hit a triple. Your temptation will be to think that you've earned it, you deserve it, you don't. 
They're privileges, and God has been gracious to you. Turn around and use those to help others. Those with less privileges or lower positions are mentioned now in verses 9 and 10. Bond servants, people who were born into a less privileged position. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, which is stealing, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. God does not lower the bar for people who have less privilege. He doesn't turn around and say, well, you're less privileged, so you get to do stuff that other people don't. Same measure. God uses the same standards and measures for all people. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. People are on equal ground before the cross. The, the commands are no less low because your situation is less. And your temptation then is to, be, because you're in less privileged position, is going to be to, to try and subvert the system through ungodly means. And that's why he mentions argumentative and pilfering. You're like, well, this guy's got a bunch. Maybe if I just steal some off the side, I can level the playing field a little bit. God has said it is not your responsibility to try to level the playing field by doing evil things. Your job is to be in the position that you're in, and you will single-handedly overturn the whole system. If you just, you say, you're not allowed to do things because I don't like the system, it's bad, so I'm going to do bad things so that I can take your place, all you've done is secure the system of people in charge doing bad things they shouldn't be doing. The way that you get there gives, is given permission for everybody to do the same kind of things you're doing. So whatever tools or methods you use, you have to be willing to let the other team use them too. And so you can't be argumentative and bully or pilfer in order to get there. Romans 12, verse 21 says it this way, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God's plan is that by being who you are and where you are at, you will overhaul unjust systems. The whole system will fall apart if people actually start doing this. It can't sustain itself if you do what God's called you to do. That's God's plan is reformation, not revolution not casting off all authority, saying authority's bad and people who have authority are bad. If you do that and then you're in charge, people will be coming for your head. You just secure a system of violence where they continue to do it over and over. God's plan is different than that. As we close here, listen, everybody has rebelled against the assigned post that he's given you. You've, you've, you've sinned against your gender. You've sinned against your age. You've sinned against your privileges. You've sinned against your lack of privileges. You've done things that aren't fitting for where God has placed you. All of us, have fallen short of who God's called us to be. I've fallen short as a man, as a dad, as a husband, as an elder of this church. I've fallen short in every station God has assigned me to. And that is why Jesus came and took our place. Jesus came and took our position on himself because there was no other way. We could not just fix it through behavior modification. We couldn't just get better at doing the stuff we were supposed to do. Somebody had to die. Somebody had to live Somebody had to live in our place for the things we should have done. Somebody had to die in our place for all the things we fell short of. And that is why Jesus came and lived and died. 2 Corinthians 5.21, last verse I'll leave you with. I have it up on the screen for you. For our sake, for our sake, because we had such great need, for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God took on our assignment because we couldn't do it. And then he gave us his rewards. He earned a paycheck that he then left to us so that in clean conscience he could redeem us and welcome us into heaven. Jesus died in our place for our sins and he lived in our place for our righteousness. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, the clarity it provides. Thank you for the stations that you've given us. It is not unclear what you've called us to do. Give us faith to do what you've called us to do, to live in light of who you've made us. Amen.